Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 5 is where we're going to be at. Tonight, there was a lady that went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I am terribly in need of counseling. That I've got this sin and I can't seem to shake it. The sin is messing with me, but I can't seem to get rid of it. So the pastor was concerned for the dilemma for this lady in his congregation. So he asked her, what seems to be the problem? The lady goes on to say, well, I come to church every Sunday and I can't help thinking that I am the prettiest woman in the church. So I look at all the other ladies and they can't even hold a candle to me. What should I do, pastor, about this sin? The pastor goes, honey, that's not a sin. That's a mistake. Pride causes you to see things differently, doesn't it? I'll tell you something that my pastor told me many years ago. He said, it doesn't matter if you're the best looking, the smartest, or the one that has most money, you are replaceable. Pride affects our relationships. Pride affects the way you view and act with those around you. Hence, this woman believing she's the prettiest. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, a very familiar text. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, God, God's Grace for the Humble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment that you've given us. God, as your people, your congregation, Father, I pray that you will speak to every single one of us here tonight. God, I pray a special anointing, God, to help me to minister tonight on this topic. I hide behind your cross. Speak to us tonight, God. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Hallelujah. Pride is one of those things you preach on a cycle. Uh, there's, there's guys who um, keep a preaching calendar, um, and that's uh, very similar to how I tackle a lot of the, um, the preaching. But pride is one of those things where it's like every three months, every two months, or for some of us, every month, amen? It's good to be reminded about this. So I want to start off with my first thought, and that is relationships in church. The context of our text is speaking about what I'm going to call vertical relationships in the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful uh, gain, but eagerly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, say with me, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's in the context of it, his instructions to elders in the congregation. 
word elder comes from a Greek word, which is presbyterio, which is where we get the Presbyterian church uh, or the Presbyterian denomination. By definition, is a person of responsibility and authority in matters of Christian societies. It has nothing to do with age, but it has everything to do with spiritual maturity. It speaks both on how the elders, headship leaders, older saints, should shepherd the flock. The flock being the church, the people who we are to lead, who we are to lead. In some languages, Presbyterian is best rendered as older leaders. But in other languages, the more appropriate term will be equivalent of a counselor. The word flock comes from a Greek word, which is pominion, which means the followers of Christ, constituting a well-defined membership group. So think about this here for a second. The, the text is telling elders how to shepherd People who aren't following them necessarily, but following Christ. That is a dynamic when it comes to pastoring, when it comes to being a leader in the congregation, when it comes to being a minister, is that yes, there are some practical steps and they do follow you, but ultimately you're just a side shepherd. Amen? Ultimately, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. This ministry, this fellowship, you always heard Pastor Mitchell say, this is a work of God. Throughout the Bible, followers of Christ are referred to as the flock. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. John 10, 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The main idea of our text is that there is a certain culture or a certain spirit that needs to be present in the people of God. See, many of the problems in the church that hinder growth have to do with relationships. The difficulty many times is that we get saved but have no clue how to build a lasting relationship. This is why many of us don't talk to any of our high school friends because we didn't know how to keep friends. We didn't know how to make relationships last. We didn't know how to be honest, especially about ourselves. We we're envious, selfish, and our sermon, prideful. See, all of these attributes when we get saved are still in us. Yes, God saves you. He takes you out of the streets. He removes you from drugs and alcohol or maybe even perversion. You can go on with all the things that God sets you free. But there are things deeper in our lives that remain like envy, pride, covetousness. You can go on down the list of all the different things that God still has to shape out of us. See, in the church must have a culture of acceptance and hope for all of this. Relationships in life come in various levels. You have people who are just acquaintances. You heard Pastor Wells speak about Pastor Lamont. He said, I love the people of God, but Pastor Lamont has a unique place in his heart. Relationships come in different, uh, different levels. I have friends. I have 
Uh, I have acquaintances. I have two best friends, and I have my pastor. So different relationships. There's a book I recommend to read. It actually is recommended by Pastor Wayman Mitchell. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's a term that is used in psychology that translates well in the kingdom of God. And this term is vertical and horizontal relationships. Vertical relationships are between parent and child. Or maybe even a grandparent and a child. But this translates in the spiritual realm also a pastor and his disciple. A man in a ministry with a leader in that ministry. Wives with their pastors or even pastor's wives. And obviously we can speak about marriage, right? Wife and her husband. But, our, but there's also horizontal relationships. And those are partners, maybe adult siblings, adult friends. I have friends, Pastor Stapleman. Um, we, we call each other pioneer buddies. We're in Texas City and Galveston at the same time. Those are peers. Those are friends. We, those are what I will call a horizontal relationship. See, the church is set up very similar in these subcategories. You have those on the outside that we're trying to reach. Those that we're trying to win. This is the, the pool on evangelism. Souls uh, that aren't saved. We tend to, or we speak to them as sinners. And we bring these up, lost souls. And we want to bring them in. You have that category. But you also have horizontal friendships here tonight. That's your brother, your sister here that's next to you, that you labor with, that you outreach with, that, that you do life with, but you also have those vertical relationships. Again, just to go a little bit deeper, our outside relationship, our whole focus in this, relation, in this relationship is the salvation and the discipleship. This is what brings the horizontal and vertical relationships together in our lives, is that we have a common goal. That is the salvation of souls. A common heart, and that is a love for people. Horizontal relationships. These are your friends, your brothers, your sisters in the house of God. And this relationship, listen, is deeper than just hanging out. Maybe you guys know that our the relationships here, brothers and sisters, should go past the games of spades. Should go past the sequences and the and the dominoes and goes further many times, if you'll be honest here tonight, it goes further than biological blood. Think about what Jesus says about relationships. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my, brother, uh, my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What a powerful dynamic. To think that somewhere what brings you closer than your DNA is the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's the power of the blood of Jesus. Is that we wouldn't be here together if it wasn't for Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You guys, I'm going to be honest with, with each other tonight. How many, let's, let's be honest. Can you be honest? Thank you, Niels. <laughs> Can y'all be, okay, let's, let's remove the halos. And let's be honest tonight. Most of us probably, be, probably wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I'm just saying. 
Here it is a mother and his brother talking to Jesus, and Jesus makes a point to tell him, listen, this is my brothers, this is my sister. A relationship through the blood of Christ carries more weight than just a biological tie. You guys didn't like that tonight? A relationship through the blood of Christ carries more weight than a biological tie. See, Paul presents some dynamics that should be present in these relationships. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's our responsibility, to encourage one another, to help each other out. That is the dynamic of a horizontal relationship. Can I tell you, listen, it's in the house of God where we should see the best relationships in this world. Friendship should be at an all-time high. Brothers and sisters should be able to count on one another. This is why whenever there's bickering and divisions, it's something that hell rejoices because in the house of God is where love should thrive. That we also have that category of a vertical relationship. And this is ultimately your relationship with God. Some of you guys know that's the highest vertical relationship you got. Your relationship with God, but you also have those who are in charge of you. Every single one of us in this room tonight have vertical relationships in our life. We have pastors, we have leaders, and we have elders. This is what Peter is really, really dealing with in our text. It is obvious that our relationship with God is first. That's a foundation that is established. And to be honest with you, it doesn't need to be reestablished. That needs to be the foundation of everything we do. In your marriage, God comes first. Amen? Finances, God comes first. In your ministry, God comes first. For anything to be successful, our relationship with God must supersede that relationship. But an overwhelming truth that we see in our Bible is that when our vertical relationship is good, then we find grace from God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, we ask respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint heart of the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What an incredible text there. You guys ever had a boss you don't like? Just wondering. <laughs> it's hard to work for them. It's hard to punch in and punch out. It's hard to be loyal. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard, it's hard to just be the best worker that you can be. It's like if you read these texts that you're like, you have to work for them like if you're working for God. But then you look at your boss like you're far from God. You have none of the characteristics that God has. That's the pressure many times in these vertical relationships. And our text is attempting to warn us of a common thing that gets in a way in these relationships in the kingdom of God. 
An uncommon thing is pride. And the longer that we're saved, the longer our church thus does what we do, which is plant churches and create pastors, create pastors' wives, create these churches and leaders, and we're just planting churches. Eventually, we'll have evangelists, amen? Eventually, we'll have greater ministry. We'll go into greater things, and, and this is where the danger of pride begins to kind of come in. I want to spend some time in my second point, and that is when God opposes the proud. So the question is, what is pride? Many people describe pride as the greatest sin of all. But I wonder why. The word pride by Greek, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I'll spell it for you, but if I pronounce it, I might cuss. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Let me spell it for you. It's H-Y-H-P-E. R-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. Bingo was his name all right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> but that's, that's the Greek word. You can look it up. The definition <laughs> is pertaining to being ostentatiously proud. This is arrogant, haughty, or even contemptuous. The picture our word is trying to paint is that of an arrogant person. You ever, you ever met somebody that's arrogant? The word arrogant, by definition, is having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. In other words, you need me. Right, what you, what you going to do without me? Right? But then I preface the whole sermon by saying, we are all what? Replaceable. Every single one of us, including myself, we're all replaceable. See, the proud person has a heart that is puffed up, compares himself to others and reckons that he is above them, the prideful person thrives on people's praise. Thrives on people, you know, telling them good things, and even to the point where they begin to pull people down. There's a difference between the kind of pride that God hates and the kind of pride that we can have between a job well done. In the context of our text, the proud, arrogant person thinks in his heart that he is better than that above him or below him. He looks at his horizontal relationships and say, they need me. And he looks at his above, the vertical relationships, and says, I'm better. Therefore, dismisses others and creates a void in the relationships that God wants them to protect. See, throughout Scripture, we're told about the consequences of pride. But an overwhelming truth is that God opposes the proud. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. This is a reference of what happened to Satan. And listen, it wasn't, see, Satan's issue wasn't, wasn't just a regular relationship. It wasn't what his horizontal relationships. Satan's issue was what his vertical relationship. Trevin Wax said this, he said, hell is full of people who think they deserve heaven. Heaven is full of people who know they deserve hell. See, pride is most exposed in relationships. See, the problem with pride is that many times we can't see it, but others can. Tony Evans said, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. And second, 
Chronicles chapter 26, we read the story of a man who's a king. His name is Uzziah. Starting in 15, if you follow with me, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud. Is that what happens? Start getting some muscles. Start, start showing a little bit. Start getting some spiritual abs, some spiritual biceps, and now you grow pride. Proud, proud, proudful, or prideful. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Verse 17, but Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Think about this. Look how many people are around him. The priest went after him. That's one. 80 priests of the Lord who win uh, men of valor. For those of you guys that are greater math, that's 81. Verse 18, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah. 81 people are saying, it's not for you to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests. It's not your job. The sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. So this isn't your job. I know you're king, but this isn't your place. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then Uzziah was angry. He was angry. I am king. Do you know who I am? Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar, of incense. Don't be so prideful that it begins to affect you. I'll read it again. Verse 19. It says, Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of those that were trying to stop him. You ever, you ever been there? Maybe you're part of the 81. You're trying to tell your friends, like, listen, don't do it, bro. Just stop and think. Be careful the way you're speaking. Don't, don't talk to that girl. I had a situation one time growing up as a disciple. I had a friend. I was like, listen, don't talk to her. She's not even saved. But you go on and do it anyway. And you see the downfall. You see, you see the destruction. See the picture of leprosy. You ever, you ever, I don't know if you read that text before, but my question is, why the forehead? <laughs> What the forehead? How many of you guys you have kids? Have you, you ever you ever done this to your kid where you look at his forehead and you go, <laughs> or you're like, in, in El Salvador we call it coscorron. You know we'll get one of these and we'll. It's almost like a shameful thing, right? Where everyone can see it. See, pride and conflict in relationships always go hand in hand. You know that the ten years now that I've been pastoring. I've always realized and I've always connected that where there's conflict in relationships, there is pride also. A prideful person always has problems and conflicts with others. I want you to hear me out tonight. Maybe you're trying to gauge at yourself, as you should. You're in the house of God. You're listening to a sermon, right? You might be gauging at yourself. Am I a prideful person? Well, look at your surroundings. Are you always in problems? Are you always in conflicts? People who are prideful can't take correction. Uzziah was told, don't do it. 
Never, they, ne they never said, you're not king. They never disrespected him. They simply told him, this just isn't for you. It belongs to somebody else. He, they warned him in verse, I believe it was 18, when they withstood him, he goes, go out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. He's like, listen, there's going to be consequences, but somewhere his pride kept it going. See, pride will take you to cross limits in relationship, limits in ministry. Many times to go against correction, to go against advice, to go against things that have been given to you as convictions and standards. You know, can I remind you tonight that I have a pastor? My pastor has called me at times to correct me. And if I can be transparent with you, at the marriage retreat, I was six minutes late to service Saturday morning. And guess who's the one that let me know? It wasn't my wife. <laughs> it was pastor. Because somewhere he's trying to correct something in me. There are times where Pastor Rosario has corrected me and the natural tendency is to defend myself. I'm going to be honest with you guys tonight. Listen, I'm, I'm never going to play games with y'all. I'm, I'm always going to preach stuff that God spoke to me. Amen? I'll tell you this situation. On a missionary trip, Pastor Rosario told us we're going to get up at 6.30 a.m. for breakfast. And right there, I'm like, oh, Lord. 6.30 for breakfast, and when we're finished, to go back and change. And then he says, then I'll see you at the gym. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I told him, what if we get up at 6.30, go to the gym, and then eat breakfast, and then change? That was just logical to me. I was like, wait, we're going to come down, we're going to eat breakfast, then we're going to go change, go to the gym, and then come back and shower and change? I, just, I was just thinking about it in a linear way, if you, if you follow me. And he looked at me, and when I said that, he literally looked at me and said, yeah, no. <laughs> and it did something in me. <laughs> but guess what I did? I got up at 6.30 a.m., <laughs> and I was down there eating breakfast. When we finished, we went to go change, and we went to the gym after. See, some people, their pride, you would have made a big issue. You would have made it a theological issue. You ain't God. Who are, who are, who's you to, who are you to call the shots? I have a very close friend. Um, he, did, he did something out of the ordinary that most of us wouldn't do. And as a matter of fact, many of us told him, bro, you shouldn't do that. And, um, and what he did was that he, um, in, his, um, in his daughter's wedding, um, had music playing, and and um, and there was dancing. And we're like, you're a pastor. You should probably not do that. And those were just friends. We're horizontal relationships, right? He did it anyway. But then pastor called him. And pastor's phone call wasn't the, hey, bro, you should probably not do that. Pastor's phone call was, hey, do you think you're smarter than me? <laughs> We've set some things up on purpose. There's standards and there's convictions. You know, there's a few reasons why I listen to my pastor. Number one, he's the pastor who God gave me. God gave him to me. Number two, he has 20 plus years of proven ministry. So I say, who am I? Can I find things that I've done that he hasn't done? Yeah, I'm sure. But who am I? 
There's a saying. It says you never know what's in a person until you pinch them. <laughs> or you tell them no. Let me remind you tonight that pride is a sin. And sin, se sin separates us from God. Therefore, hindering our advancement. Oh, you might be able to get through the ranks of ministry. But in the positions and the titles that you will receive, you need the help of God. And if your vertical relationships, your horizontal relationships are not good, God will oppose you. Our text doesn't say separation. It says opposes. It's one thing to make our own life harder. It's another to have God make it harder for us. This word oppose comes from a Greek word, which is antithesis, which sets, means to set opposite to or range battle against. Think about that. That word says that God will battle you. When it says opposes, it means to fight against no matter how. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, no matter how dear you are to God, if pride is harbored in your spirit, he will whip it out of you. They that go up in their own estimation must come down again by his discipline. God looks at you. And if you're prideful, God says, I will oppose you. Now, the question that we should be asking ourselves is, if we feel like there is an opposing work of God, then what do we do? You ever been there when you look at yourself and you're like, it almost seems like everything goes wrong for me. Probably a good place to start is to examine your heart for pride. See, pride affects how you view people. Pride will affect the relationships, especially those that matter. Relationships with headship, relationship with the church, relationship with God. Can I tell you, pride is the root of cynicism? The root of criticism, criticism, the root of arrogance, the root of false humility, and so many other human faults. Pride is dangerous. It's deceptive. It destroys individuals. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys nation. Pride is what got Satan thrown down out of heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I want to, I was going back and forth. I wanted to preach on this in conference. And I wanted to speak about this dynamic because this text here is not speaking about accomplishments or merits. As a matter of fact, if we do this right, a disciple will go on to do greater things than his teacher. Isn't that what Jesus said? He looked at his disciples and says, greater things you will go on and do. And there's evidence in the lives of, of the disciples Paul's reach in ministry was so many, so hundred times more than Jesus. Jesus preached in, in, in Jerusalem and, and in that region, but Paul goes on to Asia and Thomas goes on to India. And you can speak about the Ethiopian uh, uh, missionary trips of Matthew and, and all these different people that it goes beyond what Jesus did. That's not speaking about accomplishments. Again, if we do this right, the disciples in this church will do greater things than I. Will do greater things than any other pastor has done in this church. That is the powerful dynamic of discipleship. That our churches, when we plant them, 
They will do greater than us. Yet it still holds true that a disciple is not above his teacher. It is a powerful dynamic. It has to do with the way you view who God has placed over you as a teacher. You know, at the end of the day, it's our choice. We choose what we want to do with the people that God gave us. This is why it's so powerful that the house, the relationship with the house of God, because as much as you don't love your brother or your sister biologically, you have no choice. You were born into that family. But you choose to be here. You choose to submit to this ministry. You choose to love the people in this church. I want to close on my third point. And that is clothing our spirit. Our text, our main text, if we can read it. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, clothe yourself. I know it sounded funny. You told them to dress yourself. That's what you told them, right? But spiritually, that's what he's saying. He says, dress yourself. You put on your shirt. You put on your pants. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Humility is like a shirt that we choose to put on. The word humility, C.S. Lewis best defined it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that one more time. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, humility isn't pretending that we're unworthy because it's a spiritual thing to do. You ever had somebody that they're, they're asked to do special music or they're asked to do something, they grab their mic and they're like, oh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm here, you know, and then he said, I, sh- I shouldn't be here. I was like, well, then sit down. <laughs> so it's, it's, not, it's not this false humility in Honduras. There's a misunderstanding of what humility is. Um, when my wife and I were there, they used to look at poor people and they said, oh, they're humble. Son humildes. They used to say whenever they were poor, but it's like, listen, I've met some very prideful poor people. It's not about a financial, social class. It has to do with where you position yourself. It's recognizing that we're unworthy because it's simply true. The hope in our text is that we can have a spiritual wardrobe change. Pride doesn't have to be who we are. Pride doesn't have to be the shirt that you wear tonight. We can clothe ourselves with humility. Our text shows us that we can change our pride to humility. And listen, it must be done. Clothe yourself. Why? Because God will oppose you. Consider the prodigal son. He left in pride. You remember him? He left in pride. Give me my money. Give me what my inheritance, my part. He goes on and he returns wearing a different shirt, doesn't he? He returns in humility. After he lost everything, he decided to go back and say to his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's what happens many times in the house of God. Somewhere God does something, they take off of what God has done. And now that it's empty, they come back and say, I'm no longer worthy. Then God does something. Then they take off. And then it's like the cycle. Luke 15, 19 says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What a humble spirit. The son 
of this man says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which every father in this place knows that you can go do whatever you want. You're still going to be my son. Maybe you guys, you feel like that with your kids. Think about this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It is a deliberate decision to position himself in submission to that relationship. That's humility. This also happens in marriage, or at least it should. It is a deliberate, not a forceful. We know the Bible teaches that women should submit to their husbands. That's biblical. Amen? I don't care if it's 2023 or 3086. It will be biblical that a woman should submit to her husband. But it's not a forceful submission. It is a very deliberate decision. I will come under this because God says so and because I love you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. The woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. God is saying that evil desire to rule over her husband, but her husband would instead rule over her. That's your job. That's your role. Saying, listen, you're going to want something else, but that is your role. We know in our relationship with God that it requires humility for us to find grace from God. That we can go to God in humility and ask us to get rid of our prideful hearts. See, some people here tonight, you just need to ask, God, take this pride away from me. See, part of the, part of the equation, part of the, the main thing is knowing that you're prideful. Is looking at yourself and examining yourself. See, Jesus led, led us with humility. Maybe you guys know the greatest example we have of a proper, humble leader relationship is Jesus himself. Steps out of the throne of heaven to come down and die as a sinner. He doesn't die as a sinner, but dies the death of a sinner, right? Did he deserve it? He was innocent. But yet he lays down his life as a living sacrifice for us. Listen, let us take lessons from our Savior and place pride where it belongs. Nowhere near our relationships. Let's not be prideful with those that aren't saved. Let us not be prideful in our horizontal relationships. And let us not be prideful in our vertical relationships. So we spoke about how the opposing happens. But the main thing, if you think about this, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Say with me, grace. How many of you guys, you want grace? I don't want God to oppose me. I want God to look at me and give me grace. And there's people here tonight, God's looking at you and he's, and he's saying, I don't, I don't want to fight you anymore. I don't want to oppose you anymore. Clothe yourself with humility and I will give you grace. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Humility is more than just an emotion, more than just 
saying the word. You've, you've, you've heard all kinds of sermons on pride. You've heard all kinds of sermons on this. and You might have even heard people speak about how humble they are. Do you know where they stand? But tonight, listen, this is between us and God, you and God. Don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself and God. You're here tonight. You're not saved. You're not right. Well, God, if you're to die at this moment, heaven will not be your home. You want to change that. You want to lay down your life. You want to get saved. That's you. Raise your hand. Maybe you're backslidden in person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. Backslidden, away from God, but you want to change that. You want to reconcile your relationship with Christ. That's you. Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? Backslidden, want to get right with God. God's dealing with you. Raise your hand. Very well. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to Christians. Church. Listen, tonight we, we heard a powerful sermon this morning on money. And the thought in that sermon is that for us to do everything we want to do as a church, we need people who are able to tap into the riches of God that God will be able to trust them. It's speaking about the effectiveness of a ministry tonight in that very same spirit. I want to tell you, listen, as our church grows, as our ministries grow, as men and women step into their destinies, their God-given destinies, the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I'm saved, the more I see pride, causes God to oppose. You don't want to find yourself in a place doing God's work and God's opposing you because of your pride. I've had a lot of, I've had tough conversations with friends. I've had friends have tough conversations with me. Moments where I had to process things and my friends have told me, listen, you're, you're just being prideful. And there's times where it's been backwards, times where I've had to tell them that that's pride. And I thank God for having those horizontal relationships that I cherish so much that can call me in those moments. We need God. It's one thing that we make mistakes. It's one thing that we can cross lines or create these things. But listen, let's not fall into place where God's looking at us and he's opposing us. Let's find grace in God. Let's humbly come to God. God, if there's anything in me, take it out. I don't want to be prideful, God. I don't want you to oppose me. As we all stand up here tonight, I want to challenge you. Let's all stand up to our feet. I want to challenge you to come to this altar and say that very dangerous prayer, God, look into my heart and speak to me if I have something, something wrong. Oh, tonight we're not talking about anybody else. We can talk about the list of issues and problems other people have, but what about us today? What about us and God? Hallelujah. We're going to sing out this song tonight. 
as we as we pray. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are the lover of my soul. Oh, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock now. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock. Now I know. Oh, I love you. I love you, I need you, you're my only hope, I'll never let you go, you're my Savior, my closest friend, and I will worship you until the very end. Oh, let's give him praise tonight. Father, we worship you, God. Yo lo robo bobo Yo lo robo bobo Amen. You know what, tonight I'm convinced that there is a blessing and a spiritual dynamic when it comes down to relationships in the kingdom of God. This, I've seen it at work with my friends, I've seen it, I work with my pastor, that somewhere there, there's just this, this outpouring of God's favor and grace when those things are right. Listen, the reason why I preach on this is because relationships are, are rough. I mean, they're, they're tough to, to keep afloat. One friend, I can, I can, be, I can be honest, I'll tell you two things. Um, when, when we first got sent out in Galveston, I've said it before, Pastor Vaz, he told me, listen, hell, will get in the way between me and you. Because Satan will get in between me and you, and he's going to try to destroy that relationship. And from that point forward, I tried my best. I will call him weekly, talk to him, you know, and just, and many times it's not even like a question. I'll just call him, hey, what's, what's going on? That happened also in, 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 in Honduras, whenever I transitioned under Pastor Rosario, is that, the very same thing. And then there's there's something spiritual. I don't know. One time I was at the airport, and this is just me trying to figure life out. I was at the airport. Pastor wanted me to buy some tickets, and I and I told him. It was in Honduras. So I told him the price. I don't remember the number, but um, no, it wasn't that. I needed to buy the tickets that weren't selling it to me. So I called pastors. Like, pastor, they're not selling it to me. And he's like, no, you need to go back and show them the money. And I'm like, I've been there three times already. <laughs> 
And I talked to three different people. And he's like, and I was like, it's just not, it's not, it's not working. And then he made this phrase that anybody who has a relationship with Pastor, Pastor, probably Pastor Cruz, Pastor Rosario told him this. He says, there's two types of men. Men who make things happen and men who let things happen. He said, go back over there and ask them. So I went back over there and asked them and they sold me the tickets. <laughs> and I think it was just a moment where God was teaching me something. It was just, it was just supernatural. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I did different that time. It was just, it was just somewhere God was trying to teach me something. And that's true in, in relationships and in, in church. And listen, pride, pride will get in the way of things. We're all trying to make heaven our home. We all got issues. There's no one perfect here. As a matter of fact, what we need to do is help each other out. Encourage one another. You got to have tough conversations, have them. Pull them to the side. Use wisdom with your words. Don't, don't embarrass them. Don't rebuke them in front of people. Pull them to the side. You're gaining a brother that way. Maybe you're here tonight and God's speaking to you. There's pride in your heart that you have to deal with. I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. This is what it's about right here. God's going to help us here tonight. This is what, this is what saves relationships. This is what saves ministries. This is what saves destinies right here. So when you're able to look at yourself and say, hey, I, I got an issue, I'll fix it. Is there issues all around you? Yeah, absolutely. Can, can you make claims of other people? Sure. But that's their heart. Our heart is God deal with me, help me out. Right, isn't that relationships I trust you? In high school in the, in the team, we used to do a trust fall. You guys know, you guys know what a trust fall is? Somebody, somebody does this. We used to do it off the 12-foot ladder. We used to climb all the way to the top and just drop, and, and the teammates were here. And I looked down, and I'm like, I haven't passed the ball to them in the last week. <laughs> like, I don't think he likes me. But somewhere, our coach used to look at us like, you, you got to trust your teammates. Can I give you that word here tonight, church? you got to trust your teammates. Trust those, 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 those around you, those above you, those next to you. you got to give that trust, the benefit of the doubt, love. That's what love is about. It, en it endures all things. It, it's compassionate, right? And you can go on and on with all those things. But here tonight, we're talking about letting God have open heart surgery in us. Amen? I want you to raise your hands. I want you to pray with me. Say, Father God, I recognize there is pride in my heart. Forgive me for acting the way that I've been acting. I don't want you to oppose me. I want to find grace and favor in your eyes. Father, I repent from my pride. Work in me. Enlarge my heart and help me to love those horizontal relationships. My peers, my brothers, my sisters, those vertical relationships. God, my headship, those leaders, Father, I pray that you will help me to protect those relationships. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Let's give God praise. Father, we thank you. Hallelujah.